You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Last Sunday, I started a new series based off of a new book by a Christian rabbi by the name of Jonathan Kahn, and the title of the book is called uh, The Return of the God. Now, I'm going to do a kind of a really quick recap of last Sunday. It's going to be totally inadequate. I, I'll just tell you this right now. We laid a very, very uh, big foundation last Sunday, and if you were not here, I would strongly encourage you to get on our website and go back and listen to last Sunday's message because there's no way I can do it justice uh, in a recap. But I, I, I at least kind of want to give those of you that weren't here kind of an idea of where we were at last week, where we're going to go uh, this morning and into um, next week. Um, I started by sharing from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 13, uh, which said this. They sacrificed to Shadem, not to God, and in in the Hebrew, that's Elohim. That was the name of the uh, God of Israel at that time is Elohim. He revealed himself uh, to the people as Elohim. So they sacrificed to Shadem, not to Elohim, to gods they did not know, to new gods that had come that your forefathers did not fear. I also reference Psalm 106, verses 36 through 37. And here David is uh, speaking, he's writing, and he says, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to Shadem. Now, both of these scriptures there in Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 106, they are both Moses and David there are referencing times in the history of Israel. So they're, they're kind of recounting, they're recapping the history of Israel, and they are referencing times where the nation of Israel went from serving and worshiping the one true God, Elohim, Jehovah, the one true God alone, to gradually, eventually moving toward worshiping and serving pagan gods. Now David goes so far in his recap of the history of Israel, and he says there were even times in the history of Israel where their worshiping and serving of pagan gods was so bad that they were even willing to sacrifice their sons and their daughters. Now, we talked about that Hebrew word shadem a little bit last week. It is only used twice. It's a Hebrew word. It's only found twice in the scriptures. There in Deuteronomy 32 and again in Psalm 106. And so it is an unfamiliar word to most of us, mainly because, again, it's not a word that's used very often in the scriptures. So when biblical translators went to translate the Hebrew scriptures into uh, Greek, they had to find a word that uh, was close enough to the meaning of Shadem, and the word that they chose in the Greek was the word demoni, and that is where we get our English word 
demons. So Moses and David are identifying times in the nation of Israel's history where they had abandoned God uh, to the point where they were willing to sacrifice uh, their sons and daughters to demons. As I stated last week, just as there are hierarchies of angels in heaven, uh, there are hierarchies of demons in hell. So in heaven, you have archangels like Gabriel and Michael. You have the seraphim that are around the throne there in heaven. You have cherubim. And each of those hierarchies of angels have different assignments, power, and authority. And likewise, there are hierarchies of demons in hell. And each hierarchy of demons possess different assignments, power, and authority. Now, while there is not a lot known about the Hebrew word Shadem, some biblical scholars believe the Shadem may be demonic spirits that are a part of the highest realms, the highest levels in the demonic realms. The Shadem may represent some of the darkest, the most evil, the most malevolent uh, demons in uh, all creation. And these may be some of the demons that are referenced there by Moses and David that the nation of Israel worshiped and served, that they were even willing to go so far as to sacrifice their sons and daughters. And again, there were, were multiple cycles throughout Israel's history in the Old Testament where, where they would be worshiping and serving God alone. They would be very focused and, and, and just very uh, in, intent on their serving and worshiping of the one true God. And then eventually they would kind of gradually turn from worshiping and serving God alone to where they would begin to worship and serve uh, other gods, demons. And, and some of these other gods were part of the Shadem. And the worshiping of some of the other gods, these demons, some of these new gods, these new gods that had come, these were gods that their forefathers uh, did not fear. Again, some of these demons would be so wicked and so evil um, that they would even influence the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, to sacrifice their sons and daughters. Now we learn a lot about the active ongoing presence of the demonic realm and how often it would manifest itself among the nation of Israel. And again, just as there was demonic activity in the Old Testament, we know that uh, there was that same level of activity uh, that carried over into the days of Jesus. Jesus often encountered um, and he would cast out the demonic realm. We also know from the scriptures in the New Testament that the early church, especially there in Acts, there were also times where they encountered uh, and they would cast out uh, the demonic realms as well. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 43, uh, Jesus is speaking here, and listen to what he says. When an unclean spirit, now again, he's referring to a demon here. 
He says, when an unclean spirit, a demon, goes out of a man, that's deliverance. He's, he's possessed of a demon, and, and that demon is cast out. And Jesus says, when that unclean spirit, demon, comes out of a man, the unclean spirit, the demon, goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. It says, then the unclean spirit, the demon says, I am going to go back to my house, again, the, the, to, to dwell inside the man from which I came. And when the unclean spirit, the demon, comes, he finds it empty, swept, and clean. Then the unclean spirit, the demon, goes, and, and this is important to understand, he goes and he finds seven other unclean spirits, demons, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the state of that man is worse than the first. Now again, Jesus is teaching us something about how the demonic realm functions. He's telling us something about how demons operate here. And, and Jesus is talking in, in this scripture about an individual man. But I want you to look at what he says in the very next verse, verse 45. He says, so shall it also be with this wicked generation. In other words, what Jesus is saying is he is saying what is true of an individual man in the way that the demonic realm operates will be true of a city, a state, a nation, a generation when it comes to the demonic realm. Now Jesus is telling us what will happen that what happened to the nation of Israel back there in the Old Testament in the ways that the demonic operated and influenced still will happen in this wicked generation and every wicked generation forward. Jesus, again, he's telling us something about the way the demonic realm operates and how it continues to actively work in the lives of people, nations, and cultures. And last week we talked about just as there are observable, repeated patterns within the nation of Israel, there are also observable, repeatable patterns in the demonic realm. So there continue to be observable, repeated patterns in every generation when it comes to the demonic realm. What I mean by that is how they worked then is how they continue to work now. It's how they worked in Jesus' day. Nothing's really changed much there. What was possible with the nation of Israel in the ways the demonic realm functioned and operated is possible with every generation. And it functions in every generation. And so Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, in his book, he makes kind of a couple of observations. First he says, are there discernible, observable, repeated patterns that occurred when the nation of Israel would go from worshiping and serving God alone to gradually worshiping and serving pagan uh, gods? Are there repeated observable, discernible patterns that would happen. Secondly, he says, 
Are there certain demonic spirits or entities that are consistently found to be influencing the nation of Israel, turning them from worshiping the one true God again to worshiping other pagan gods? Are there demonic spirits or entities that are consistently found? Third, is it possible for those same pagan gods, the Shaddam, those wicked, those evil, those malevolent spirits, is it possible those same demons could be at work, not just in America, but in other places around the world today, but especially in America? And if so, what would that look like? How would that manifest? Are there similarities in how they manifested in Israel and in other nations and other cultures at other times and how they might manifest if they were to do so in America today? If those same demons that led Israel astray were at work in our culture today, what would that look like? And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at three main observations that Rabbi Khan makes in his book because like I said last week I think his observations go a long way in explaining a lot of what is happening in our culture today and I think it will begin to give us a preview of what is to come especially in America today and especially in the last 50 years, right up to today. Uh, it, it's amazing, as, as I kind of was preparing uh, for this, it was amazing how much of this has happened in my lifespan. I'm 61. I know that's a shock to many of you. I know I don't look a day over 30, um, but I'm 61. And I'm telling you what, a lot of this that I'm talking about here that, that, we're, that we're seeing, this all happened in, in my lifespan. That's frightening to think of. So in his book, Rabbi Khan identifies three main demonic spirits or entities that he believes were responsible for leading the nation of Israel astray back there in the Old Testament, that he also believes those three may be responsible for leading not just Israel astray, but America astray today. And it's interesting because Rabbi Khan refers to these three demonic spirits or entities as the dark trinity. If you know anything about Satan, he always tries to mimic anything that God does. We have the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He mimics also a dark Trinity, and we're going to talk in these next couple of weeks. Uh, each week, I'm going to kind of talk about one of these three entities. The first demonic spirit that Rabbi Khan identifies is what he calls the possessor. He says the possessor was believed to be one of the main leaders of the demonic realm. And he would go by the name Baal or Baal if you're from the south. I don't know where Karen went. I threw that in there for her. Baal was always, you got to understand, always, always, always the first demonic spirit 
that would show up and, and his appearance would mark the beginning of the nation of Israel eventually, gradually, slowly being led away from worshiping and serving the one true God. Whenever the nation of Israel would begin to gradually move away from worshiping and serving the God of Israel to worshiping and serving pagan gods, Baal was always the first and primary culprit. And Baal's first observable, repeated step in starting that process, I alluded to it last week, the first step in leading the nation away was always the same. He never did anything different. This was always his first step, his first attack. And that first step in leading the nation of Israel away was to separate the people of God from the word of God. If Baal could separate the nation of Israel from the word of God, chances were very good that the Israelites could easily and gradually be led astray into worshiping and serving pagan gods. Now, I want you to, I'm going to use this kind of as the, the scripture here uh, this morning. It's found in 2 Kings 17, verses 15 through 16. Now, again, pay attention to this and, and watch for this pattern of separating the people of God from the word of God. They, the nation of Israel, rejected God's statutes and his covenant, which he had made with their fathers, and his warnings, which he gave them. And they followed idols and became empty, and followed the nations that surrounded them, about which the Lord had commanded them not to do as they did. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God, and made for themselves cast metal Im images, and this is going to come into play a little bit later, but just mark that. And, and they made cast metal images to calves. And they made an Asherah and worshipped all the heavenly lights and served Baal. There he is. And again, one of the first things Baal will do is to separate the people of God from the word of God, to cause people to forget, to reject, and to abandon the statutes and the commands of God. And, and you can find references to Baal, Baal's influence over the nation of Israel all over the Old Testament. And every time the nation of Israel would repent and turn back to God, any relapse back into pagan worship always involved Baal. So there in the nation of Israel, we find the demonic spirit Baal. And again, he's usually always the first one on the scene leading the nation of Israel astray. And he uses the same tactic. It's amazing. We don't learn anything from history often right? And so he's able to use the same tactic over and over and over because it worked. It worked then, it works now. By beginning to gradually, subtly, slowly, 
separating the people of God from the word of God. So let me ask this question. If that same spirit, if Baal were to infiltrate America, how would that possibly manifest? And are there any similarities in the patterns and behaviors of the Israelites and the patterns and the behaviors of the United States? Anybody know something significant that happened in America back in 1962, one year after I was born? I, I am totally deaf this morning, so any and all answers are correct, okay? The Supreme Court decision, if you don't know, involved Engel versus Vital. In 1962, the Supreme Court ruled six to one to ban prayer in public schools. Anyone know what happened in 1963? One year later. One year later. Not 10 years, not 20, not 30. One year later. Anybody know what else happened? The U.S. Supreme Court also banned the reading of scriptures in the classroom and the reciting of the Lord's Prayer. What is happening here? Slowly, subtly, methodically, gradually, not going to cause any kind of a stir. There may be some disagreement, but not too much. And we're just going to start slowly separating the people of God from the word of God. And what better place to start than with our young children? If we can separate them as children, we'll have them separated as adults. Up until this decision by the Supreme Court in 1962, since the founding of this nation back in 1776, the Bible and prayer in public schools all across this nation was seen as an indispensable part of the curriculum and classroom activity. There was a time in, in this country where the Bible, God's word, was either the only textbook or it was one of the main textbooks used to teach students of all ages. Again, how did Baal gain a foothold in the nation of Israel? By separating the people of God from the word of God. Rabbi Khan, in his book, The Return of the Gods, believes this Supreme Court ruling in 1962, banning prayer in public schools, that that was the open door that allowed the spirit of Baal to get a foothold in American culture. And from that point forward, the spirit of Baal, of Baal continued to separate the people of God from the word of God. And again, what better place, what, what, what more strategic place could he have chosen to launch that attack than in our public schools? Start with the youngest generation and gradually, slowly, subtly over time, just wean them off, steer them away from God's statutes, God's command, God's word. And over time, hoping the further they get from God's word, the more distant they would become in their relationship with God. The 1963 Supreme Court decision banning corporate reading of the Bible, the reciting of the Lord's Prayer, added another wedge in separating the people of God from the word of God. 
It is incremental steps like this that started there in 1962 that resulted in other landmark decisions such as the banning of the Ten Commandments in public schools and in 1980 and then banning their their display on public grounds in 2005. Again, you see what, what started there in 1962, how it kind of gradually began to be a, a domino that caused many other things relating to God's word, his statutes, and his commands begin to fall. The word of God is considered hate speech in more and more countries around the world. Canada, our neighbor to the north, being the latest that, that has ruled God's word as hate speech. Again, remember these words from 2 Kings 17, and they abandon all the commandments. It starts with one. I will just ignore that. Oh, we'll just, we'll just forget that one. Oh, we'll just abandon that one. And, and, and it just kind of began until they came to a point where they had just abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God. Every decision, every step calculated more and more to separate the people of God from the word of God. And all it took was an open door. All it took was one opportunity and you begin to see this play out in other areas of religious activity in our culture. How many remember growing up in the 60s and 70s, again, where it was customary? I mean, it, it, was, it was against the law to have anything open on a Sunday. You couldn't buy groceries, you couldn't buy medicine, you couldn't buy gas on, on Sundays. Starting in the mid-1970s, more and more gas stations opened, where nowadays everything is open every day. A lot of this commerce now is just 24-7. And again, as people get more and more separated from God's word, the less sacred Sundays became. I mean, I, I had forgotten about this, but I remember a time growing up where you could open the newspaper and you would actually find sermon, a pastor's sermons were written in the newspapers. They would take maybe a local pastor each week and they would, they would include his sermon um, that previous week. Try finding that in the newspapers today. And again, all of this has led us to becoming more and more of a very secular culture. And again, all of this has happened within the span of about 56 years. My lifespan, this, this started in 1962. And look at where we're at today. Gradually, slowly, systematically leading the people of God more and more and more away from the word of God until we reach a point where we have completely forgotten, abandoned, and ignored God and his word. It's how Baal worked in the nation of Israel, and it's how he is working in America today. And just as the nation of Israel missed, ignored, or were apathetic to Baal's presence and influence, so much of America is today. Let me just say something about open doors when it comes to the demonic realm, because I had a lot of great questions uh, and interactions with people 
last week over uh, this whole issue of the demonic realm. For a demonic spirit to enter into a person, and I get this question a lot, am I, am I, am I possessed of a demon? For a demonic spirit to enter a person, it must have the legal right or permission of the person it is dwelling in. An open door is simply the means by which the demonic spirit has been given the right, the authority, or the permission to enter the person. Now, the more obvious doors to the demonic can occur when we willingly choose and participate in the occult through satanic worship or witchcraft. Right now in America, you may not realize this, but witchcraft is huge. And it is growing more and more popular in America, uh, mainly uh, in thanks in part to internet sites like TikTok that promote videos um, that, that glamorize it. More and more movies and books for both adults and children are depicting witchcraft as normal, as healthy, and even as beneficial. It'll give you power over people. It'll give you power to influence uh, 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 environments. And, and so they, they have ways of selling this uh, that are very, very glamorous um, to, to people. As a matter of fact, there are more witches in America than there are Presbyterians. And the deeper a person goes into the occult, into witchcraft, again, the further and further you are removing yourself from God and his word. Again, that in part is how the demonic realm operates. Slowly, subtly, gradually leading you further and further astray away from God and away from his word. Now again, the, the devil's very, very subtle. So he's just gonna use very um, subtle, he's gonna not, he's not gonna jump out and, and go, boo, here I am. He's gonna use very, very subtle means to gradually kind of sway you into uh, allowing more and more of his activity and influence into your life. So some other open doors for the demonic into people's lives are drug use, pornography, sexual sins such as Incest, rape, bestiality, homosexuality, bisexuality, transgenderism, just to name a few. Those can become. Now again, people will say, oh, I've looked at pornography a couple times. Does that mean I'm, I'm demon possessed? Not necessarily. There, there are always tipping points in any of those activities where after you've done it for so long, there comes a tipping point to where God's just going to give you over to that which you are, are pursuing or going after. We can open the door to the demonic realms. Uh, we can do that into the lives of innocent children. 
you know, when they've been subjected maybe to sexual, physical abuse, or maybe they have had parents that are into the occult, or they're into witchcraft, and, and then the, the children are kind of led into this, and, and, and there's an open door that's been uh, given in their life uh, to the demonic. So it can happen uh, to, to, to innocent children who don't know any better. They just see what mom and dad are doing. I want to be like mom and dad. I want to do what mom and dad are doing, and then that becomes an open door for them as well. Interestingly, my ear just popped. I kind of felt like this was, for those of you who don't know, I've been really having a huge issue with my hearing, and I felt like this was demonic. Um, so it's interesting as I'm preaching this that that just popped. So again, a demonic spirit requires an open door. An invitation it has to be given permission. It has to have a legal right to have any influence or possession, whether that open door is through a person, a sinful activity, or an event like a Supreme Court decision. It's also important to remember that when it comes to sin in our lives, again, this is so important to understand. In most cases, God, his mercy, is a window of time to give us time to repent and to turn from our wicked ways. So you may get in, yeah, you may get into certain kinds of activity and, and, and if that activity is not turned from and repented of, it will become an open door. But, but there is this mercy of God. It is a window of time that God's giving you in the midst of that rebellion of that sin to repent and to turn away from that. But there will come a point, a tipping point, where, where God will no longer contend with you and he will just give you over to that which your heart desires. Let me see where I'm at here. Covered a lot uh, here. The longer we engage in the sin, the more difficult it becomes to repent of because our hearts just start to get harder and harder and harder against God's conviction uh, of our heart regarding sin. And again, there just comes a point in every sin, every habitual sin, when we refuse to repent and we, we just continue to disobey and we're just in rebellion against God and his word. There comes a tipping point where God's just gonna give us over to that. I, I think the Supreme Court decision in 1962, I think Rabbi Khan has nailed this exactly right. Outlawing prayer in public schools, which then led to the outlawing of the reading of God's word, the reciting of the Lord's prayer. I believe that represented a tipping point. It was an illustration of a tipping point. There was most likely a very gradual, subtle, slow, leading up to that moment, but the decision in 1962 by the Supreme Court, uh, which again, I think that allowed that open door, that invitation, that opportunity for the demonic to come in and to begin to cause all that we see uh, happening as a, as a result of that. Let me, let me just close. Um, if you will, would you allow me just a few more minutes here? I, I wanna talk about just one final thing here. Regarding the worshiping and serving of Baal. Now Baal, one of the other things that he would often do in the nation of Israel is he would represent himself as the God of prosperity. 
as the nation of Israel would gradually shift from worshiping and serving the one true God, Jehovah, to worshiping and serving the false god, Baal, they would also begin to believe, where they once believed that God was the, the primary source of blessings, God was the provider, God was their source of provision. In that gradual, subtle leading away, they would begin to give more and more of that credit to Baal. The Israelites would begin to look away from the one true God to Jehovah, to Baal as the one who represented increase, gain, profit, and prosperity. The Israelites came to believe that it was Baal, they would eventually just come to believe that it was Baal who could bring fruitfulness to one's field and an abundance to one's vineyard. Baal would lead the nation of Israel astray by causing the nation of Israel to credit him for their financial successes. And the nation of Israel came to falsely believe that the more they worshiped and served and gave offerings to Baal, the more he would prosper and increase their finances. As we look at America today, we would be hard pressed to find another country more materially prosperous than America. Not only do we, like Israel, have an abundance of crops and herds and material possessions, we also have our stocks, our bonds, our IRAs, our precious meadows, metals, the Dow savings. And like the nation of Israel, over time we have become a culture as we have abandoned God and his word that we are shifting more from serving the almighty God to serving the almighty dollar, as we Americans like to call it. I don't think that's by accident. Just as Baal influenced the nation of Israel over time into believing he was the source of their wealth and their prosperity, is it possible that Baal has had and is having the same influence in America today. I think it's interesting to note that part of the worship and serving of Baal uh, involved the nation of Israel as well as other pagan nations to create molten images of the pagan gods that they served. Again, look at those verses in 2 Kings 17. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves cast metal images to calves and served Baal. Now, Baal's prominent symbol was a bull. The bull embodied, it represented his power and his connection to fertility. So whenever you would find the worshiping and serving of Baal, you would also eventually find images and idols of bull that were made of, of metals and clay. Now, the nation of Israel, the bull, it became, as they abandoned God, as they abandoned his word, as they abandoned his ways, the bull became a symbol, and it was a reminder to the nation of Israel of their abandoning and of their rebelling against the one true God, Jehovah. And more specifically, the bull was the symbol of a nation that had once known God, that had once been consecrated to his ways, recipients of his covenants, but now had forgotten and forsaken him. 
The bowl became the sign and the reminder of a nation that had rejected the one true God to follow other false gods. You may also remember that following the exodus of the nation of Israel to slavery there in Egypt, Remember, as Moses goes up into Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God, he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. In Exodus 32, we find that the Israelites, they're growing impatient. Where is Moses? Why is he not coming down? Maybe he's never going to come down. And then they turn to Aaron, the second in command, and, and they say to him, you need to make idols for us to worship. Anybody remember what they made? a golden calf or a young bull, a symbol, again, of their rejecting, forsaking, and abandoning the one true God, Jehovah. And throughout Israel's history, wherever you find the worship of Baal, you will eventually find molten metal images of a bull. We see that with the leader, uh, uh, Jeroboam, he was the one that led the nation of Israel to split into a north and south kingdom. He erected golden calves. He had the people of Israel uh, worship and serve those calves. And again, it was just a reminder of their complete abandoning and rejecting of God. Now, why do I bring this up? In December of 1989, a massive 11 feet tall, 16 feet long, weighing 7,100 pounds, made of molten metal, appeared in the form of a giant bull. It appeared in New York City, just outside the New York Stock Exchange, on Wall Street, of all places. Is that accidental? The sign of Baal, the symbol of Baal. What Baal represented himself throughout the history of the Old Testament, throughout the history of his involvement and influence in the nation of Israel, the God of increase and gain, the God of finance and wealth would be linked to the New York Stock Exchange, America's house of increase, gain, wealth and finance. We even use the term bull market to recognize when the financial markets and stocks are doing well. Interestingly, on the day it appeared uh, on Wall Street, the bull was not alone. There was another image overlooking it. It was a statue of our nation's first president, George Washington, that giant bull, that molten metal. Was on the same ground on which America came into existence as a constituted nation. It was that spot there where Washington was sworn in as the nation's first president. After being sworn in, Washington delivered what many believe to be now a very prophetic warning. He said, in effect, if America ever turned away from God and his eternal laws, its blessings would be removed. And now standing right across from the statue that commemorated the day and the place where Washington gave that prophetic warning against turning away from God was the sign that perhaps, 
Our nation has done exactly that. We have turned away from God as a nation, and we are now following after, pursuing, worshiping, and serving other gods. And the results, folks, cannot be clearer or more catastrophic. This past Tuesday, the U.S. national debt passed 31 trillion times for the first time in human history. No nation in the history of this world has ever accumulated this much debt. They're all saying every finance person, anyone with knowledge of economic know-how says we are in uncharted waters. We don't know where this is gonna go or how this is gonna end. It's never been done before. And it's not just the United States. Countries all over the world are facing the consequences of rejecting and abandoning God. Do you realize in the last nine months alone, since the start of 2022, over 60 or over $46 trillion of stock value has been erased across the world? Let that number sink in. $46 trillion. I don't know how you can erase that much wealth and go into that much debt of $31 trillion without suffering some kind of detrimental pain and suffering. And here's the thing, just as God allowed the nation of Israel to follow after other gods, he also allowed the consequences of their rejection of him to come upon their nation until they eventually repented and returned to him. Likewise, God will allow America to follow after other gods just as he will allow the consequences of our rejection of him, of his command, of his word, of his ways. He will allow those consequences, those outcomes to come upon our nation just as they have and just as they will continue to come until we repent and return to him. America, it is time to repent. It is time to return. Any other response, any other response at this point, all it's going to result in is more chaos, destruction, and pain. Next week, we're going to look at the second of the three of what Rabbi calls the dark trinity and how that demonic spirit may be working in and influencing America. I would encourage you this morning um, as we just close in a word of prayer, pray for our elections. Elections have consequences. Pray for our elections. Pray that God in his mercy in that window that God would, would give us, that God would uh, allow people to be elected that maybe can come in and begin to turn this tide around and can begin as leaders in Washington, as leaders in our state, as leaders in our city, that we can begin to repent and return to God. It's gonna take all of us working uh, together, leaders in every sphere. So we want to be praying for our, our election. I think there's some information uh, in, your, uh, in your bulletin uh, about that. Pray that you'll take time to look at that. And again, just be praying for our nation. Father, we just again thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, again, just for your warnings 
We thank you, Father, that through your word you show us the ways, both negative and positive, Lord, the outcomes of, of people who worship you and, and those who ultimately go to reject you, Father. We, we, we see the outcomes. We see, we see the consequences in all of that. And Father, I'm concerned that we are a nation that has slowly, subtly, gradually over time that we have turned from you. We have forsaken your word. We have ignored your commands. We have left you and we have pursued other gods. And Father, I pray, Lord, just that there would come a greater and greater awareness and a conviction of that in our nation. And God, I pray that the awareness, the conviction of that would be as such, Lord, that it would cause, it would motivate people to turn and to repent, to turn back to you, God, to forsake our ways and to once again worship and to serve you alone. Father, we pray for this upcoming election as elections have consequences. And Father, we pray, Lord, that, that the, the people that you have raised up, the people that may be a part of the solution of turning America back to God, Father, we pray as those candidates are on the ballot, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would give them favor in the eyes of the people, whether they agree with them on every issue, Lord, but that there's just something about them, God, that would rise up and cause their hearts to, to be able to go and to vote for that individual, God, trusting that you're wanting to use that individual, that group of people in a particular place in our city, our state, and our nation to lead us back to you. So Father, we pray, Lord, in this election, Father, that that would be one of many things we could do as a nation to repent and return to you, is to begin to elect people that truly represent your word, your ways, and your heart. And Father, again, we just thank you, Lord, that you're opening the eyes of people in this country. I, I believe that, I, I see that that's happening. And Father, I pray it's not too late. And so, Father, we just pray, Lord, you'll give us the wisdom. You'll give us the boldness and the courage to do what needs to be done, to turn this country around and return it back to you. And, Father, again, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness that leads us to repentance. This is one of those kindness moments, God, that you're giving us to repent, and we thank you for that. And again, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you will never leave us. You'll never forsake us. No matter how bad it gets, God, you'll always be there. And God, I pray again that we would just, just do what we need to do, Father, to make you known among this nation. And we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We invite you this morning, and again, I, I'm sorry I went over. For gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.